It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast, on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That is at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O Thunderpod. You can email the show, lothunderpod at gmail.com. Call into the show, 405-362-7128. Always Ways to get connected to this show. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be recapping that Pelicans game, the first blowout loss of the season for Oklahoma City. Happy New Year to everyone as we're sitting in 2021. Steven Adams returned to Oklahoma City on New Year's Eve. He talked about how weird it was and that his first real mix-up was whenever the ball was tipped and, and, and he won the jump ball and had to look around and realize that you know he was on the New Orleans team and not the Oklahoma City team with just that the the habit that you form there. Uh, the Pelicans came into the game two and two. Thunder came in one and two. Oklahoma City was ten and two on New Year's Eve. They lost this one. Go to ten and three. Houston won on New Year's Eve, so they now become alone at the top of the leaderboards for most wins on New Year's Eve since two thousand and eight. Oklahoma City was 24 and 15 against the Pelicans, obviously now 24 and 16. Ty Jerome, the only player out, of course, Trevor Reza is still out, but he's not with the team, so he doesn't really count. But Trevor, uh, but Ty Jerome was out again. He will be out also for the Magic game tonight. Uh, the Thunder started at their normal starting lineup of SGA, Hill, Dort, Baisley, Horford. So you really look at this game and it becomes a tale of two halves, right? And there's a lot to dive into. We have coaching decisions. We've got rotational patterns. We've got everything. Uh, but in that first half, Oklahoma City was shooting the three like it was going in a style. I mean, they were shooting it 29 times in the first half alone. Last year, they averaged 33 pointers in the entire game and they got that in a half. And the thing about these three-point shots, they were not bad looks and they were 
they were generating good looks with their offense, and that's what you love to see. And they were taking those three-point shots because the defense was giving them three-point shots. They're adapting to whatever a defense throws at them. And if the three-point shots don't go down, there's not much you can do about that. But generating good looks is a big deal because eventually, whether that is next year, the year after that, or the year after that, you're going to have a good team on this roster. You're going to have good players on this roster that can knock down those shots. And then you'll see the opportunity and you'll see the generated good looks turn into buckets and turn into points and turn into wins. So the fact that this offense is already looking you know, good on tape and on film and when you're watching it, you're seeing you're seeing the route to success, right? You're seeing how they can be successful. And that's by doing what they're doing right now with ball movement, with pace and space, with being versatile, you know, being able to drive and also shoot and things like that. You're seeing it come together right now on the court. You just need better players on that second unit. You need better players from 1 to 15 to get you to where you want to go. And speaking of, of how good Mark's offense has been, I know that I've been raving about it since since the beginning, right? Since, since preseason, I've been raving about Mark's offense. Stan Van Gundy, in his pregame press conference, just praised Mark on how well-organized this team is, how good they are at getting open looks, and went on and on about even how, how much these guys are playing for Mark and, and, and how, he, how good he's doing in his first year and really his first you know, week on the job, two weeks on the job in the regular season. And so to get that kind of praise from a Hall of Fame coach who you know, is going to go to the Hall of Fame and has been to the NBA Finals and has accomplished a lot in his career, that's pretty high praise for Mark, and, and he deserves it. Uh, but once again, if we talk about the, the game itself and the players in the game, Darius Baisley was rough in this game. I mean, at the half, he had five points. He was two for five from the floor, 0 for three from beyond the arc, three rebounds, two assists, but three turnovers in one half. He was just atrocious again in this game. He looked lackadaisical. He looked checked out offensively. And I will say, once again, as I did say uh, against Orlando, he looked checked out offensively. He looks lackadaisical offensively, but he was locked in defensively. He played really good defense. It's, it's this weird flip, right? Because normally a young player will lock in on the on the offensive end, will try their hardest, will try to get their points, and then they become checked out defensively. Baisley's the opposite this year. I mean, he just looks like he doesn't care about being there offensively. He's not making crisp passes. He's not making crisp, cut, crisp cuts. He's not going up efficiently. All those things that you could praise him for doing in the preseason, they have not carried over to the regular season. Except for the defense. Except for the rebounding and the defense. It's just weird to see a young player that's like so locked in defensively, but looks like they could care less about being on the offensive end. I, I don't think that this keeps up. I, I still think that Darius Baisley is a building block and he's a piece for your future. And he'll provide, you know, a, a contributing level player offensively. And he'll have nights where he goes for 20, 25 points. Uh, but you just got to limit these nights, right? You got to limit these nights where you're 0 for 3 from, from beyond the arc and where you're getting five points per half whenever you're supposed to be the second or third leading scorer on this team. So we're still waiting for that breakout game from Darius Baisley in the regular season, right? We're still waiting because before the year, I thought he was going to be the second leading scorer on this team because you figure that Al Horford will be the only veteran who will be on this team the entire season, and he's going to sit back to backs. He's going to sit whenever you have you know three games and you know three games and four nights and things like that. He'll, he's going to sit and rest, and therefore Baisley moves up and up the pecking order. And as Baisley moves up and up and up. He gets more shots, and he makes more shots, and he's your second-leading scorer behind Shea. Uh, but that does not seem to be happening this year. But there's still time. Uh, you're just hoping that Baisley can break out of whatever funk that he's in on the offensive end because he's still playing really good defense. And so if he can mix that good defense with nice offense, 
where have you heard that before? It's about Lou Dort. Then he can become a really good player. So we're just hoping for the best for Darius Basley. But speaking of Lou Dort, Lou Dort had his first game where he's in foul trouble in this one. And, and that's a tough thing for him, right? It's tough to even count this game against him in the in the foul trouble category because he's having to guard Brandon Ingram. He's having to guard Zion. Got Zion picked up one of Lou Dort's fouls. It's just an unfair mismatch here because the Thunder are just not equipped to handle a bigger lineup like the Norman's Pelicans. They have one true big on this roster, and it's Al Horford. I mean, you can have a seven-footer Pukashevsky who is a guard. You can have Mike Muscala who stays in front defensively, but guys are still going to go over and through him. Same thing with Isaiah Roby. stays in front, but he's just his frame. He's just going to get ran over, and he's going to just get scored over. So uh, he can't do much besides stay in front, which he does a good job of. So is Muscala, but they just cannot provide too much for you defensively. Whenever you have that against Steven Adams, against Zion, uh, against these bigger teams, you're going to run into this trouble. You ran into it against Orlando as well. You're going to run into it again against Orlando tonight. You, I mean, even without Horford back, Al Horford limits the damage some, but they're still going to live in that pain against you. And when teams are doing that, it obviously is going to create more fouls for Lou Dort, who is going to be your top defender and going to take on those challenges of playing up to Zion or playing up to Brandon Ingram. And so he got an early foul trouble. Mark tried to challenge one of his fouls against Brandon Ingram. Uh, I, I thought it was a good challenge live, right? Like whenever he, whenever the, the green light first flashes and the, the challenge is, is thrown up there, I thought, it, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good use of his challenge. Even though it was, you know, before a minute passes in the, in the first quarter, I still thought he was going to win it just because I thought live watching the play that Lou Dort didn't make any contact. But then with the replay, you see, okay, yeah, Lou Dort actually did hit Brandon Ingram. That was a really good call. I don't know how, you, how the ref saw that live, and away we go. So Mark is 0 for 1 on his challenges in his NBA career. And then in the first half, Teo Maldon took a step closer to being preseason Maldon. He was really efficient with six points, five rebounds, one assist, and a couple amazing three-point shots. When Maldon checks in, he can just simply make an impact. Like, he simply just stat sheet stuffs. And not in a bad way. Not in like a I'm hunting stats way. But he checks in, and then you look up, and all of a sudden he's got three rebounds and assists and, and, and three points. And then you finish out the half, and of course I read you his numbers already. But he just quickly gets all of these stats and makes his mark on this game. It's really fun to watch him play. And then Isaiah Roby, to close out the first half, did get rotational minutes. He played some good defense. His recovery speed and chase down speed is awesome. You saw him. You saw him get a couple blocks that way by getting blown by a little bit or, or someone else getting blown by even, and he comes down from his spot and gets the chase down block. But the bigger thing with Isaiah Roby is, while he's getting rotational minutes, offensively, they put him in that in that dunker spot, and this is what's so good about Roby. He's so versatile, right? Because he can run the pick and roll for you. He can also run a pick and pop because I think that, I think that he can shoot the ball better than what we've seen so far. When they put him in that dunker spot, he is so athletic, and, and it's so good for him that, you know, Shea can drive in at the elbow – the defense will, you know, of course, adjust to him and shift over to him. And then Isaiah Roby just in the dunker spot, and he can get the easy two points from Shea. And I want to talk about Shea's game even more and talk about this second half and kind of what went wrong for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And we're going to break down Mark's first coaching decision. They're just being picked apart by the entire fan base right after this. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
We are back on Locked on Thunder, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I want to talk about Shea, right? Because Shea is going to be the most important storyline of this season. And once again, Shea saw that the defense was doubling him almost every chance that they got. And he was dealing with immense pressure from the defense. And he didn't force anything. He didn't. And he was very efficient again. He, he kind of did his role very well again in this game. But the thing is, if you're going to be a number one option you're going to deal with pressure every single night. And if you're going to deal with pressure, you've got to know how you still have to know how to score and how to how to get those big games while getting double teamed. And Shea doesn't know how to do that yet. Now, you would rather see what Shea's doing where, you know, he he is getting all the focus and he's only gotten two turnovers in this game. And he's gotten two steals to make up for it, but only scoring 8 points and going 3 for 10 as the defense is focusing on you is obviously not very good. Now, now the 10 shots, I, I thought that each look was very efficient. They didn't go down. I mean, obviously, only scoring three of them is not going to be efficient basketball, but I thought that the shot attempt was a good attempt. But you need your number one, which is what Shea is on this team at least. You need your number one to, to shoot more than 10 shots. I mean, Shea is... How many times have we talked about Shea shooting 10 shots this season? You need him, not to jack up shots willy-nilly, but you still need him to find ways to get to his spots and to get his attempts and points. This year, Shea is having to adjust to a lot, and so I don't want to make any sweeping judgments on Shea in four games. But you do want to see him become more and more aggressive, even as the defense is becoming aggressive on him. Because what it reminds me of is how teams are defending Shea reminds me of a lot of football, right? When a football coach looks on the other sideline and sees that he has one really good receiver on the other team. And you start bracketing him and taking away that one receiver and making other receivers beat you. That's what teams are doing to Shea. That's what it feels like teams are doing to Shea. They're, they're bracketing him. They're double teaming him. They're making sure he's not the one to beat you. And they'll live with it if Al Horford goes off and nails 5-3. So they'll live with it if George Hill goes off and makes 6-3s. They'll live with it if Lou Dort scores 30 points. They're going to live with it. But they're not going to live with Shea beating you. It reminds me a lot of that. And I want to see Shea find a way to make some things happen offensively. But again, you have to praise him for not getting flustered. Many young point guards will feel that pressure. They'll feel, okay, I'm the number one option, but I've only shot 10 times. And they'll try to do too much. And Shea does not do that. Shea is very poised. He's very composed. And he only had two turnovers. That's a big deal. The turnover number is a huge deal this year. As Shea is learning how to be the lead guard, he's not getting overwhelmed. I mean, this team had 19 turnovers, and only two were his fault. Now, we can have the larger discussion about if Shea can never be a number one. I saw that going around Twitter during this game. Oh, obviously, Shea cannot be a number one option on a championship team. Look, I think that he's better fitted for number two, but I'm not going to let four games dictate what I've always thought. And I've always said on this show that Shea is, at worst, your number two option for a contending team. You've already found that worst, your number two option. That means he still could become your number one option, but if everything stays the same or even goes as worst as it possibly can, he's going to be a number two option on the championship contending team, right? So you've already found that part of it. You need to find your Cade Cunningham. You need to find your bona fide number one. I think it's clear that Shea is not a bona fide number one, but if if you have a guy to start your rebuild who is at worst the number two option, your rebuild's in pretty good shape even before you talk about your 200,000 first round picks. So Lou Dort continues to become this just fireball shooter. He goes two for four from beyond the arc in this one. Again, limited minutes, only played 16 minutes because of that foul trouble. He picked up 3,000 total in this game, and that's another 
attribute to him is that he gets the two fouls early. He ends the game with three. Now, granted, he didn't play a lot at the end of the game because of the blowout, but still, he's able to stay within himself whenever he does get in foul trouble, which is a big deal for a defender of his elk. But to shoot two for four from beyond the arc is very intriguing. I mean, this season, he has shot the three-point shot at a high clip. And when you see Lou Dort becoming a, a solid contributor from beyond the arc, when you're seeing that happen... You mix that with his ability to drive the basketball, to finish at the rim. We've seen some impressive reverse layups, some impressive layups through contact. We've seen him finish at the rim very well this season as well as shoot the three ball. He is becoming, right before our eyes, a contributor offensively. And if he's just simply that, someone who can contribute a little bit offensively, mixed with his great defense, he becomes a good NBA player, like, like a really good NBA player, not just some, oh, he's a defensive, he's a defensive ace, so you've got to put him out there. No, he becomes a really, really good the offensive player and a defensive player and an overall player. So I'm very happy for Lou Dort, and we're hoping that continues tonight and beyond for this season. But Lou Dort had another good game against New Orleans. Congratulations to Lou Dort. Now, the thing about this is that the Pelicans kept Oklahoma City at an 11-point deficit all night long. But one play stood out about Mark's offense and the ball movement he's generating and the unselfishness of these players. I've talked about this all the time with Mark's offense so far, and one play really stood out to really define what I, what I mean. So Shea has at the top of the key, and Shea has a really good look at the three-pointer. He can shoot it, and if he shoots this ball, nobody will complain about it. But instead, he realizes Al Horford has a mouse in the house. He has a guard defending Al Horford on the block, and that's obviously a huge mismatch for Oklahoma City. So they throw it to Al Horford, who can just take advantage of this mouse in the house and get two points on the board. However, Al Horford realizes, okay, hold on a second, the defense has shifted to me to where I could still shoot it over this guard in the post and probably still make it, but the defenses came off of Lou Dort in the corner. Let me just throw it to Lou Dort in the corner who can shoot a three-point shot and get us three points, and then Lou Dort does the rest. He nails the three-pointer, and the Thunder get three points instead of two. The unselfishness from two different players to pass up looks for themselves, find a more open shot, and then an open shot falls, that's what this offense is all about. You can pass up good looks to get an even better look, and the ball movement has done that every single game in this season under Mark Dagnott's watch, and he has done a phenomenal job coaching this team. Once again, Oklahoma City got bullied inside, but it's tough It's tough to defend the paint when your only true big is Al Horford. I mean, you have a seven-footer in Alexei Pukashevsky, you have big men in Mike Muscala and Isaiah Roby, but none of them can truly defend the paint. And so you're going to get abused in that painted area this entire season. You just are, because you're not going to bring in any paint protection, I don't think. So this is what you're going to have to deal with. Every single game is going to be the same song and dance, right? A different verse, him as the first, because teams are going to exploit the painted area for Oklahoma City. It'll be interesting to see how the Thunder combat that and try to reconfigure their, their defensive shells and, and reconfigure how they're defending the the paint with the bodies that they do have, but they simply don't have the size, I don't think, to really do anything about it, to really do much about it. We'll see how they react to playing the Magic again, who just dominated them in the paint uh, a couple of days ago on Tuesday. But the Thunder and Pelicans, again, had a back-and-forth game for a long time. The Thunder would get it within single digits. The Pelicans would go up by 11. They'd get it back within 10. The Pelicans go up by 15. they get it back within 9. The Pelicans go back up 11. So the game felt close for a lot of the contest until the final frame, right? Until the, and really until the, the second half of the fourth quarter. That's when things truly got out of hand. In this game, you saw, the, you saw the rotation expand. You saw Josh Hall get legitimate minutes from your two-way player, Josh Hall, who made his first NBA uh, basket 
on New Year's Eve, which I think that he tweeted out was also his mom's birthday for New Year's Eve. So happy birthday to Mama Hall. But Josh Hall gets three points on the board. He shoots it four times. Mike Muscala talked about how well Josh Hall has done in practice and also how impressive Josh Hall has been in this in this game specifically against New Orleans, that Josh Hall was really the only player on that second unit doing his job in the sense of what this offense is meant to do is that you, you've got to shoot, right? Whenever you have an open shot and we've had the ball movement already, you, you've got to shoot. Eventually, you can't just keep passing the ball along. And New Orleans, Mike Muscala said, was doing a good job of closing out on shots. And as they're closing out, you still have space to shoot because they have not officially closed out yet. And even Mike Muscala, who's a veteran uh, and, and a well-respected NBA shooter, even Mike Muscala was passing up open looks because he just thought that the New Orleans would close out quicker than they did. And he's saying that Josh Hall was staying simple. He was staying aggressive. He was not phased by New Orleans closing out. And he knew that he could still get the shot off before New Orleans officially closed out on him. And that's why you saw him shoot uh, four times from beyond the arc. He was one for four, but still he made the right decision. And once again, the decisions in all of this is a big deal. You just simply don't have the players to compete right now. You just don't. I mean, one through 15, your players are not good enough. But to see them all making the right conscious decision is a huge deal for their development. And it's the same thing for Josh Hall on a two-way contract. The only two players who did not play in this game was Justin Jackson and Darius Miller, because even Moses Brown got three minutes in this contest. But coming up, I want to talk about the polarizing decision from Mark Dagnott that is just having Thunder Twitter on fire during this game. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. We are back on Locked on Thunder, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I am Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Love interacting with all of you during the games. We live tweet the games over there at Ryland underscore Styles at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. So I want to talk about this decision by Mark Dagnott to really catch his first bit of heat from Thunder fans. So here's the situation. Oklahoma City is down 12 with 11 minutes to go in this contest. Brandon Ingram has been ejected. Zion is on the bench with foul trouble, and Steven Adams is on the bench with rest. But Oklahoma City leaves out this lineup of Teo Maldon, Henry Diallo, Josh Hall, Alexei Pukushevsky, and Isaiah Roby. That is the lineup during that situation. Once again, 12-point game, 11 minutes to go. B.I. is ejected due to a flagrant two on Isaiah Roby. Zion is on the bench with foul trouble, and Steven Adams is on the bench resting. And yet your lineup is Maldon, Diallo, Hall, Poku, Roby. And that, of course, led for a lot of people, joking or not, to talk about how Mark Dignan is tanking and that this is obviously a tank lineup. I think what it is is that it's a lot of guys who you want to see what they have, right? It's not like this is just a bunch of, of, 
of bad players with no upside. Teo Maldon is your second-round pick this year that has first-round talent. So you want to see what Teo Maldon can do in this spot. Whenever he's down 12 with 11 minutes to go, how can he control your offense? And then you move on to Hamadou Diallo. He was a third-year player that the organization loves, but that love can only take you so far. Eventually, he's going to have to produce and show up. It's a contract year for Hamadou Diallo. Can he be that spark? Can he be that veteran leader in his third year while he's sharing the floor with rookies? Can he do that? Josh Hall, a two-way guy, really athletic. You're thinking that maybe he can be your next Lou Dort, who just got overlooked by the NBA, but has immense potential and could be... As we said whenever they signed him, we read the articles about how NBA teams gave him a first-round grade. They just didn't draft him in the first round, similar to Lou Dort. So your thought process here, I would imagine, is, okay, it's a 12-point game. It's looking bleak already. Let's see if Josh Hall and, and this group of players can get us any closer. And then we'll put back in Shea and Horford and Hill to finish him off. And let's see if they can just keep us close or keep us in it. And then Poku, your first-round pick this year who is trying to snap out of a shooting slump and trying to to put more points on the board, but he's still doing a good job of passing and things like that. And then Isaiah Roby, who had the breakout game, and he's interesting. I mean, it's it's Isaiah Roby who had a breakout game the last time he played, and also, a year ago, had the highest contract in second-round history. That's what Dallas thought of him. That's what the NBA thought of him. A second-round pick to get signed to an NBA deal, period, is pretty rare. But again, the largest one in history was pretty good for Isaiah Roby. So he obviously has potential there. And I think that this lineup was looked at as, okay, even if we put in our starters, right? Even if we put in our guys, they have not exactly gotten us close in this one. Again, this was always an 11-point game throughout. The Pelicans always kept you at arm's length. So it's no guarantee, because at that point, Steven Adams at least will return, and maybe Stan Van Gundy gets risky with Zion returning, and then again, you're at this disadvantage, right? You're at this mismatch of, well, now we can't defend Zion, we can't defend Adams. That's probably what Mark's thought process was. I'm not sure. No one asked him about it. It's kind of an awkward thing to ask. Hey, did you try to lose this game by putting this lineup on the floor? Put something in a really bad spot, no one's going to ask him that. But I think that that's what it kind of was. Let's just see if these young guys can get us closer, because the veterans haven't done it anyway. So it's no guarantee that we put the veterans back in there and they just make this comeback and make this huge push and get us the win. Let's just see if these if these young guys can get us closer. But then at the eight-minute mark, he still put the veterans back in there. He had Shea, Lou Dort uh, with George Hill, Josh Hall, and Al Horford. A really interesting lineup to see Josh Hall in there with the starters at the eight-minute mark down 19. I thought that was very interesting. But for Mark to keep the young guys on the floor, I'm not going to just drag them over the coals. If you truly want to go for every single game and win every single game... Obviously, you'd put your starters back in there. But this season is not just about winning anymore, right? Now, that does not mean that these players want to lose. I mean, these players on the floor want to try to win. But there's also branches off that tree, right? The tree is winning. The branches are developing Shea, developing Lou Dort, developing some, some semblance of a bench, developing Poku, Maldon. And those, those are the offshoots of this season. And that lineup is trying to accomplish that. Right, It's trying to accomplish something secondary to winning because winning is no longer the only thing on your mind the way it was for most of this franchise's history in Oklahoma City. It's an adjustment that everyone has to make. But Oklahoma City gets outscored 22-9 after Brandon Ingram gets ejected. The Pelicans go on a 22-9 run when Brandon Ingram is ejected. And that's exactly how you lose a contest, right? They lose Brandon Ingram, who was their top scorer, who was the most improved player last year, and they still go on a 23-9 run against you. That's how you lose. Now, I didn't think that Brandon Ingram should have gotten ejected. 
I thought that this really should have been a, fra- a flagrant one, but the referees thought it was a flagrant two because of the wind back. And if you didn't see the play, Roby is going up for a layup and uh, Brandon Ingram chases him down, uh, winds his arm back, tries to block the shot, and instead whacks Isaiah Roby across the face. And fun fact, in each game Isaiah Roby has played, he has been whacked in the face. We'll see if that trend continues tonight against Orlando. And after getting whacked in the face, Isaiah Roby is 0 for 5 at the free throw line. Understandable, though, because, you know, you just got whacked in the face and you're now you're trying to shoot a, a basketball. But still, nonetheless, it's a fun fact. I didn't think that, that B.I. deserved to get ejected, but I can see where the refs are saying, look, you wind it up and then you hit him in the face. We can't really do much more for you besides that. I don't think that Brandon Ingram meant anything by it or was trying to hurt Isaiah Roby. It was a basketball play gone wrong, and that happens sometimes. And sometimes you get caught in a flagrant two that you really didn't mean to do anything by it. Uh, now, the MVP for this game is Al Horford. He was the only reason that Oklahoma City was even in this game a tiny, tiny bit. So you've got to give him credit for the MVP there. He was a steady hand offensively. He did a really good job defensively. I bet on Oklahoma City plus five and a half. Obviously, I was dead wrong on that. I predicted Shea would win the Thunder Money Ball. And once again, I was wrong. I'm over on Moneyball still because he got two, Shea did, but Al Horford got three to lead all scores from the three-point line, which is what the Moneyball is. Now, tonight against Orlando, the Thunder are going to try to rebound. It's going to be interesting to see if they can just try to shift their defense in any possible way to become a better paint-defending team. I don't really know how that could happen, but that's why I'm not a basketball coach, and we'll see what Mark can pull up uh, in tonight's contest against the Orlando Magic in Orlando to kick off a very, very long road trip. So that'll be fun to watch. The bet of the game today for Orlando, the Magic are favored by 5.5 points. I'm going to have Oklahoma City plus 5.5, and, and we'll see if I can, can get back on the winning side in the bet. For Moneyball outcome, I'm going to go with... Lou Dort, why not? Let's just see if Lou Dort can have another breakout game from Beyond the Arc and continue his hot streak from Beyond the Arc. Once again, this is Locked on Thunder, the only daily podcast about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I appreciate everyone checking in on Twitter, DMing me, adding me, mentioning me, asking where the show was. Took a day off for New Year's, but I wanted to record this podcast on Saturday before the Magic game. That way, You knew my thoughts on the Pelicans game before this game. We'll be back tonight whenever the game is over to recap the Magic game. And then, of course, Monday through Friday this upcoming week. So much to talk about on Locked on Thunder. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Once again, it is just devastating that there were not people there for Steven Adams' return to Oklahoma City. It's just sad that fans could not be there Will the emotion still be there the next time Steven Adams returns as a Pelican? Whenever he's been a Pelican for a year? I still think so. He meant that much to this organization. But it's just sad for Steven Adams and this fan base that we could not have a full Chesapeake Energy Arena tonight. Of course, it's the right and the safest call. But it still sucks. It's still sad. But nonetheless, congratulations, Steven Adams, on a heck of a career in Oklahoma City. That's the show. Again, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you tonight after the Magic game. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.